Today, we're going to focus on uh, roles and responsibilities in family relationships. And by way of uh, kind of review from last Sunday, I want to provide just a couple of, uh, couple of bits of information that I think are going to be helpful to you. One, it's about fighting, and I realize that, that we Christians think that we uh, are not allowed to fight and we shouldn't fight. And yet, oftentimes, that's what happens. We get into fights and arguments. We might not call it, call it that because it doesn't sound like a Christian word to say that we had a fight with our parents or fight with our spouse or something like that. We might say we have a, a profound disagreement that sounds more spiritual, just to say it that way. Uh, but sometimes we do fight, right? And we typically fight when a need is not being met. And we begin to resent that, and enough anger builds that you, you become explosive in your anger and you start saying things and doing things in a really angry kind of way. Uh, and that is known as a fight. And there's lots of hurt feelings. So this is what's interesting. There are lots of studies that have been done, University of Michigan, other places. Uh, Dr. Karen Young, psychologist out of New Zealand, she, uh, she argues that a fight between a husband and spouse is not a good predictor of divorce. That a husband and wife might fight is not a good predictor. What is a good predictor is how they fight. The way they fight can reveal whether or not their marriage is going to be sustainable. Uh, and there's so much truth in that. So much truth. Uh, if you're the kind of person that you think you can, uh, you, you like to draw blood, emotional blood in a fight, uh, it's, it, there's a strong degree of uh, probability that your marriage will not last that long uh, because uh, the scriptures say who can stand before anger? Who can stand it? Uh, here's four comments that I think are going to be really important to summarize what we've covered last week. Number one, your spouse, your family member, they're not your enemy. You need to learn to cooperate. Uh, by the way, if you've ever done any marriage uh, encouragement or counseling with my wife, Lisa, this is something that she will say to you over and over and over again. Your spouse is not your enemy. Now, when you read Ephesians 6, who's the enemy? Satan. It, it is Satan. Okay. Now, unless you're married to the devil, and I, you know, I, I, I kind of think that's not the case, um, and you're certainly not married to, to a demon, um, we need to be real careful about who we designate as the enemy in our lives. We need to be real careful, okay? The, the ultimate enemy of a believer uh, is, in fact, Satan. It is not your spouse. Now, a couple of comments right here. Uh, in light of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, there are spouses who think that they are married to someone, and in fact, they are married to someone who's very dangerous. They're physically and emotionally dangerous people whether it is by virtue of mental illness or whether it's by virtue of criminal behavior. They believe they're married to somebody that's really dangerous and in those situations, extremely painful. Or that's the case with a mother or a father and they have children who are very dangerous people or you have a mom and dad that's a very dangerous person. Those are very real things. Now for the moment, I, I, I want to acknowledge that, but I also want to set that aside just for a bit and say, you know what? In the normal Sunday-to-Sunday, -Sunday, work day life of a Christian, in a Christian home, we can just make it really, really clear that your spouse, your mom or dad, 
your son or your daughter is really not the enemy and that we have a capacity to cooperate with each other through Jesus Christ. I love Song of Solomon 1-4 which says, Come, let us run together. I love that romantic language. Come, let us run together. Secondly, you're not as righteous as you think you are. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Terry. We're just not, you know. And the fact is, uh, there are some of us here who think that they, they have a right to criticize their imperfect spouse. You think that Christian marriage is about finding the right person, but in fact, it's really not. It's about being the right person. It's not about finding the per perfect person. It's almost like this Calvinistic kind of theology in the sovereignty of God where the, where the idea is that God has picked out the one perfect and ultimate person for you. And there's, what, seven billion on planet Earth or close to it? And it's up to you to find that one person. And if you don't, sorry. It could have been so good. But you found number 12 on the list. And, you know, you've got this big disappointment factor now. Maybe if you could have married a three, that would have been pretty good. Better than the 12. But, but oh, you've got to find that one that God had in mind before the foundations of the earth. And, and if you just could, then you'd be ultimately happy. And you don't have to have what's called the fear of missing out. How happy you could have been if you just made the right choice back in the day, you know. Boy, Facebook wants us to think that way, wants us to feel that way. Everybody wants us to feel that way, but the fact is, Christian marriage isn't about finding the right person, it's about being the right person. And when you are the right person before God, all of a sudden, so many messes in marriages are cleaned up just by you being the right person, okay? You're not as righteous as you think you are. Take ownership of who you are and stop trying to take ownership of somebody else. Matthew 7 puts it this way. Uh, who are you to find the speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a log sticking out of your own? You take care of your own spiritual business, and you follow God, and you watch how things get clear. Third, Jesus died for your family member, your friends, your spouse. Try treating them with his honor code. It's called love and respect. Watch what happens. It's just real simple, not hard. And our ability to love defines our relationships. We need to have the capacity for empathy. John 13, they'll know your Christians, followers of me by your love. You know, your responsibility to love is far more important than you need to be right. And that's so important. There are some people by virtue of some really unhealthy things in their own egos, their own walk with Christ, their childhood, their need to be right is so pronounced that they lose the ability to love. They'd rather be right. And a good fight of the date on the milk jug is worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. I want to prove my spouse wrong. Drink by, sell by, and you'll go to the mat over this stuff. And what do you get? Well, you might get accurate information, but you've just lost the relationship. The ability to love is far more important, or the responsibility to love is far more important than the need to be right. So what about, what about roles and responsibilities? This shit, that was the review. Some of you are chuckling because you already know what this means, right? Who is this, who is this family? Father's, father knows best, right? This 50s Carla's grinning. It brings, brings it all back, doesn't it, Carla? 
Man, this is the ideal family. You've got the, the man who's the provider leader. He plays that role model, the provider leader. And you've got his lovely wife with that great hairdo. And she's the silent, submissive person and cooks the great meals and wears her pumps and pearls as she's dusting around the house. And the house is always clean somehow. And it's this ideal family with a wonderful young son who's growing up to be a man and the beautiful daughters and all those kinds of things. That's Robert Young, by the way. He was the star of Father's Best. And, and it, it captured the spirit of Americana in, it, in its day. Okay? And then this happened. This is us. And what's up with Jack? He has been making husbands look bad for like two seasons now. <laughs> ah, what is up with that guy, all right? And all of a sudden, have you noticed how the family series have changed? Have you noticed that? Big time difference between that and this. Roles and responsibilities, order, rhythm in the family, in the home. What, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, I am not endorsing this TV show. And I'm, this is being recorded. All those listening, I am not endorsing this. But there's some things on this show that we can take lesson from. And the opening episode is amazing on how, how the birth of triplets and an adoption story is woven together in the most graceful way. It is amazing. Just getting at the raw, bloodied need way of life. Pretty interesting. In no way is that an endorsement. What about roles and responsibilities? What about uh, what's the criteria for these things? Let me ask you a few questions with the intention of provoking you, not to wrath, but provoking you to thought. Are you ready? Uh, do we turn to the scriptures? Do you believe that this is the adequate basis by which we determine roles and responsibilities for husband and wife? We're getting some nods. Okay, we got some summit visitors this morning. Okay, I guess they're doing the same thing over there. We'll see. Right? Kind of fair and reasonable. Good enough. All right. Well, then, then how about this? When are the descriptions of biblical culture transferable or non-transferable to us today? What? Let me explain. Okay. If it says in the Gospels that Jesus walked from Bethany to Jerusalem, do I take that and go, oh, I just heard from the Holy Ghost, I've got to sell my car. Because Jesus walked, and I too must walk. Because that's what it meant. Is it a cultural comment that he walked from Bethany to Jerusalem, or is it a theological maxim that we all live by? Well, it's a cultural comment. So my question for you now that you get it, when are the descriptions of culture in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, James, right, when are they transferable or non-transferable to our world today? They're always applicable. They're always applicable. So, okay, based on what Cana said, men, you get to have about three or four more wives. Enjoy. Hope it works out for you. Galen Perkins went, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. How many wives did David have? At least seven that we can count. There may be more. Okay. So you've got to be real careful with culture and what's transferable and what's not transferable. Even when you talk about roles and responsibilities. For example, Proverbs 31 woman. Women have been feeling guilty over Proverbs 31 for years. For years. You want to do some cultural background? 
What's going on with Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman? Do you know how many slaves that she has working for her? Do you know, pick a number. A lot. A lot. There is no way one woman is going to do everything in Proverbs 31. It can't be done. She had slaves. That's what I was going to So is that transferable? Cultural? So what about roles and responsibilities? What about them? What are biblical? What are reasonable? What, are, what, are, what about the ways of Jesus and family relationships? How about this? This is what Dennis Rainey says from Family Life, and these three points come right off their website, that the role of a husband is to be a leader. 1 Corinthians eleven three. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. And it's, an, it's a hierarchy. It creates kind of rhythm and some structure and some order. So, it, so the mandate is men, be a leader. Okay. Secondly, men, love your wife. Love her unconditionally based on, of course, Ephesians 5.25, where it makes it clear that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. And borrowing from John 13 in the material on the washing of feet, a husband should serve his wife. So a husband leads, he loves, and he serves. Okay, Makes sense, doesn't it? Just makes sense. And, and a husband pursuing God kind of acts like Jesus, because that's kind of how Jesus acted, right? He was a leader, and yet he somehow was a servant. And those things are held in tension. And he loved, sacrificially. So his wife, Barbara, Barbara says this, uh, that a wife should be a helper, based on Genesis 2.18. And a wife should respect her husband, Ephesians 5.33. And then Brian from Titus 2.4, she says, husband, or wife just needs to learn to love. Love her husband. And she should submit to the leadership of her husband. Now, I, I, ladies, I, I can do my best at giving you attunement, trying to think your thoughts, feel your feelings, giving attunements, and walking a mile in your shoes. But there certainly is a limit. But I just have a hunch that ladies submitting to the leadership of that guy wouldn't be so hard. Am I fair? Wouldn't be so hard, right? To submit to a man who was, in fact, a true leader. To submit to a man who truly loved her. To submit to a man who was submitting to her, serving her. I think if those things were real and incarnated in a, a genuine way, then I think she wouldn't have a hard time with number four. Now, um, there, I, I got to tell you that um, I think I'd rather deal with a paranoid schizophrenic in therapy than a, than a marriage couple sometimes. <laughs> That's a joke. That was all a joke. Please don't take that. It's, it's, what I'm actually saying is I'm telling you marriage counseling can be so hard. It can be so hard. And I guarantee this. If the woman can, she'll pit the therapist against him. And if the man can, he'll pit the therapist against her. It is what it is, people. Boy, marriage counseling can be taxing. Because they'll leverage that therapist to try to get to the other one. Like the children of the spoils of war, so is the therapist sometimes the spoils of war. And he gets used or she gets used and manipulated a lot. But you know what? Ladies, sometimes men feel manipulated too. 
For example, if a man is married to a woman who constantly shames him for not being a leader, and then all of a sudden he tries to take a step in being one, and when he does, Joni gets the legs taken out from under him, Can't win for the losing, right? Right? And then how about a woman feeling manipulated when, when from the pulpit or from her smoke, whatever it is, you know, she's, she said, I gotta honor and submit to this guy, but he treats me with such cruelty, with such belligerence, and with such a lack of love that if I should submit him to him, I feel like I'm denying my own personhood. And she feels really, really used at that point. Okay? Bottom line is, nothing can transform a relationship in marriage like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Those things create a win-win on all levels. It's absolutely amazing. So, but what if we pursued Jesus and said, what are your thoughts on family relationships? What would he say? Well, I did that. He and I walked together this week. This is what he says. Number one, avoiding your parents and neglecting your responsibility toward them in the name of religious principle or spirituality is sin in the eyes of Almighty God. Okay, now let me tap the brake for just a minute. Uh, I come personally from a culture of abuse out of my home in Massachusetts. Most all of my clients fit right into the, to the scenario of abuse. Please, for the moment, can we tap the brake and let's not, for the moment, think about our mom and dad as, as abusers. Let's try to rein it into a relatively normal Christian household. Do they exist, do you think? A relative, the Trice family. Just put it in the trice family, okay? That's all we gotta do. All right. So, <laughs> normal, just good normal people. Just normal people, all right? We have no right to avoid our obligations toward our parents. No right at all. Mark said, here's what goes on. He was saying this to them. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say given to God or dedicated to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. That's like saying, this is a really special thing, I like it, I'm greedy, and I don't want to share it, so I'm gonna, I'm, I declare this korban, it belongs to God. And so if some, if my mother or father says, hey Chris, can I borrow this? And I go, no, that is korban, it's dedicated to God, you can't touch it. So what the Pharisees were doing, Matt, they would, they would plant a garden, and when it came for the produce, they wouldn't share it with their parents, because they said the tomatoes are dedicated to God. using religious rituals, using false religious principle and deceptive forms of spirituality to validate an explicit point
point blank teaching of God's word. And it's, it's wicked. And it is sin in the eyes of God. Now, for those of us, uh, my father, uh, you know, the enemy is not Satan, right? When I was young, I thought he was Satan incarnate personally. But he was an evil, evil man. Um, if you were to ask me to honor that man, mm, I'd have a real, real hard time with that. Real hard time with it. I would rather do other things than honor it to, to him. Okay? So that, that's a separate set of needs and issues. And if there's anybody here that has walked that path like I have, uh, please see me after the service and we'll, we'll talk about those things. So the way of Jesus on roles and responsibilities in family and marriage relationships is number one, you cannot neglect your parents. You can't. Okay? For those of you who are single and you think, oh boy, here we go again. Another family service designed to talk about marriage and I'm single and I'm being neglected. But no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Don't whine. Don't give me a Facebook whine. Listen. Okay, Snapchat whine. Don't do any of that stuff. How about this? Your ability to get along with your mom and dad is the basis of marriage. <laughs> okay? It's where it starts. And if you cannot get along with your parents, you're going to be hard-pressed to do well in a, in a dating relationship. They have everything to do with each other. Okay? So this marriage stuff applies to singles because it has everything to do with how, with you, how you get along with people, especially when they disagree with you or you disagree with them. Especially in those terms. What else would Jesus say about family? He'd say this, number two. Stop abusing your spouse. Mark 10, some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your sclerocardia, hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now when we read that, we, we tend to see it as, okay, I'm married, and I need, to, I need to do everything I can to stay married to my wife. Okay. But if you put on first century eyes and ears to see it from the standpoint of Jesus and the men that came here to set him up with this question, you would realize that the flip is true. Because the men asking him were enjoying all the reasons you could divorce your wife. And they were looking for Jesus to give an endorsement on this wide door of opportunity for divorce. For example... In, in the day of Jesus, there were two great, two great schools of thought. The school or the house of Hillel. They're the liberal school. We're going to call them Democrats. Thank you. That was, okay. And then you have the school of Shammai, or the house of Shammai, and they're the conservatives. We'll call them Republicans. Okay. They're the rabbi, Republican, rabbi, Democrat folk. And the school of Hillel was so liberal that they said, and this is in the Mishnah, it's in the, the commentary about Torah, known as the Mishnah. 
You can re read this. It's all there. The, the grounds for divorce include, you just don't like the way she looks, things didn't go well the honeymoon, or, quote unquote, she spoiled a dish. She, is, she can't cook. Or worse yet, she's mean in her cooking and she intentionally served you burnt toast. Yeah, there, she did that to you. Grounds for divorce, right there. Okay. Or the school of Shammai was the opposite and they said, no, that is against, that is against Torah, that is against Yahweh. Uh, only, only an event of, of um, uh, unfaithfulness, that kind of thing. Okay. They were trying to trap Jesus in this because they want to know how, just how wide that path was. Okay. So they're coming at it from a standpoint of abuse. Jesus is coming at a standpoint from marriages to be honored because what, what would a poor Jewish girl do? By the way, a Jewish girl would marry as young as 14 maybe, but you'd around 16, 18. And the male would be not much older. In Greek culture, the males could be easily 30, and the girls 15 to 16. That was more common in Greek culture, Roman culture. And Jewish culture, not quite such a disparity in age as you might think. Um, what happens to a Jew Jewish girl who gets divorced because she is accused of burning the toast? What happens to her life? She's damaged goods. She's marginalized. She no longer has a house, a threshold. Do her parents want to take her back? She's a shameful woman. Do you think a good, righteous Jewish male wants to marry that? No. And so you get into the serial polygamy kind of problem where these, these men were abusing women and they would get rid of one and get another and get rid of one and get another. And they were abusing them. And once a woman is divorced in this kind of culture, she is marginalized and set aside and creates misery for her. Makes sense? So Jesus' response just pulls this thing into the most narrow path. Very, very narrow. When the school of Hillel says, no, it's this why. And he says, no, it's not. It's that one. So it makes sense. Three, obeying God, specifically the gospel, is more important than honoring your spouse's expectations. Far more important. Look what Jesus says. But they all alike began to make excuses to the gospel invitation. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. This is a parable about people who are making excuses to not follow Jesus. And Jesus is making it clear that choosing to obey God and follow the gospel is more important than the expectations of a spouse. There are times when obeying the will of God will be frustrating and misunderstood by your spouse or by a family member. Mark 3 and he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal when his own people, his own relatives, his brothers, heard about this. They went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. Do you have anybody here have brothers or sisters that think you're insane? Yeah. That think you're crazy? <laughs> the brothers of Jesus at the request of his mother, 
said, go and get him. He's taken this Messiah thing. Something's out of context. Something's awry here. Too much time in the sun. Do something. Tell him to come home and stop. Take a break. He has lost his senses. And by the way, that very back story leads to the, to the moment when Jesus says to siblings, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Behold, those that listen and do the will of God. They are my true family. So there are times when obeying the will of God will be very frustrating and be misunderstood by your family. Can we see something forming here when it comes to Jesus on family values? The first love of your life is Jesus Christ. Your spouse, your children, your parents are the second love of your life, not the first. Number five, followers of Jesus should avoid, may need to avoid, family squabbles motivated by greed. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This is a family problem. But he said to them, Man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There are times when greed and pride are the deep motivators behind family problems. And guess what? You need to stay out of it. To stay out of it. Unless the Holy Spirit is uniquely calling you to somehow do some ministry in that situation, which, uh, you know, that happens. If not, Jesus was smart and he said, he's appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over your greed issues. I will not step in it. I am avoiding it. There's some wisdom in that, that regarding family relationships and family squabbles that are motivated by pride and greed, just stay away. Just stay away. Okay, so in summary, husbands, be a leader. Love, lead, love, serve. Wives, help, respect, love, serve. And in the way of Jesus, honor your mom and dad. Stop abusing your spouse. Obey God, because that is more important than your spouse's expectations. There are times when your spouse will be frustrated with your obedience to God. That's okay. They will understand. Know how to stay out of things that make things worse. Okay? Now, we've got some gray hair in the room. And I believe that if you are born again, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, that His Spirit has gifted you, and you have wisdom, I ask that you speak with the authority of God's Word and the purity of the Holy Spirit. What have you learned? What are some other ways that we as followers of Jesus can live out the God-ordained roles and responsibilities as singles who should get along with mom and dad, among friends or peers, among those that are dating, and then specifically with parents and children and husbands and wives. Give wise counsel. <clears throat> How would we then take ownership of God's command to live out his will, the fruit of the Spirit at home? There are two things I'd like to uh, make 
honor my parents without surrendering my life to Christ first. Because the love that it takes, the grace that it takes, the forgiveness that it takes, you cannot do it in the flesh. It's impossible first. Amen. You cannot do it. So without surrendering, giving it all over to Christ, being born again and filled with the Spirit was the only way that I could even do keep that commandment because the law is spiritual. You can't keep the law in the flesh. It's impossible. So to be able to honor my parents the way they deserve to be honored was to be born again and willing to do what was right regardless of how I felt about it. That's first thing. In that, the Lord taught me how to be a wife. So being single, you're not single. Okay, there is a misconception. Christ, the Godhead, is the husbandman. We're the bride. When you submit to Christ, you're submitting to your husband. He teaches you grace. He teaches you how to love. He teaches you how to brighten your tongue. He teaches you how to give grace because you cannot, grace comes from him. It's a gift. We don't deserve grace. He gives us grace when we ask for it. We cannot love people that are broken in the flesh. We cannot do it. So the first thing the Lord showed me how was to submit to him, to his authority, to his word, to, to his ordinances, everything he said. And I had to learn to say, first, I don't know, okay? I didn't know. Second would say, yes, Lord. It doesn't matter how I feel. I don't understand it. He didn't tell me. He, he didn't tell me to understand it, Cain. He said, follow me. Trust me. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of your past, I'm going to help you deal with all of those issues when you trust me. Then in those moments when you're praying and saying, Lord, help me love my spouse. Help me love this person. Because as you grow closer to him, he will draw your spouse closer to him so you can love one another. That's the only way it's going to work. It's spiritual. So it, you can't do it in your flesh. I see people, the Lord sent me people all the time who struggle with their marriages because they're not submitted to Christ and the devil is having a field day with them. So the first thing he's showing me, clearly, first you must be willing to lay it all down and trust him wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And in your obedience to him, he's going to draw your spouse. He's going to do it, not you, okay? Nothing that you can do. It's nice to get flowers and other things, but he's going to draw them when you draw closer to him. Mm. That's the greatest love there is, is when you trust God and he will draw them because he loves you more than you could ever love your spouse, mm -hmm. your children, or anybody. Mm -hmm. Good word. That's Dana. what he showed me. And yeah. I know it's true because he keeps bringing me people. Sure, sure. And, and that's, that's it. Yeah. Question. Did she say, is that, does that come in a formula with a guarantee? They're guaranteed of what she said, that if you love yourself, you love your Lord your God with all your heart, and you totally sell out to him, that that guarantees your spouse will be won over? Not at all. Mm -hmm. Not even remotely close. His will will be done. His will be done. Right. God's will. Yes. And that's it. Yes. Guess what? We can't obey for our spouses, can we? No. Hmm. Or children. Or children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are times when righteous wives have wicked husbands. Yeah. And there are times when righteous husbands have wicked wives. Or there's children that rebel and go off the wall in the most dysfunctional ways and they make their own choices. And they get good mom and dad, good, good, good parents. Stuff happens, right? Good stuff. So, so the bottom line, it's interesting when you look at the way of Jesus, can you see how this thing, it, the essence, the fragrance that this stuff bears? is that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's got to be number one. 
There's no particular formula, there's no magic principle, there's no unique bullet points. No. If you can't get that hard issue settled, and I, I, I'll share this like I shared in the first service, when Jesus Christ becomes your, your Lord and Savior, you're fully surrendered to him, you are quote-unquote following him. Do you know that that cleans up a lot of messes? Did you know that? It just automatically kind of solves a lot of junk that's going on in the background. So, Bruce, you're going to say something? Yeah, I'm just listening to what's been said so far. And at, at the core, these things are all decisions. You know, they're decisions to choose. You've got to choose these things. And sometimes you have to choose them over and over <laughs> and over and over and every hour of the day. I mean, they can get that intense. Yeah. Yes. And I just I just wanted to point that out. No, that's, that's good. Yes, we yes. live that. So when Janice and I have been through uh, you know, years ago, uh, fifteen years ago or more, we went through some intense marriage counseling, and we had to get beyond. Well, you did this and you did this because we did, you know, all those things. Uh, and, and go now what? Now what? Yes, we. I did them. You did them. Now what? We had to choose to uh, forgive and to submit. And then re-choose it and keep choosing it. We're still choosing it. And mm-hmm. as you know, we've been through some from some family bumps with you. And uh, and you just have to keep choosing. Yeah. Good good work. Good work. I want to pray for us now and uh, Stephen is gonna come lead us in worship. <coughs> Abba Father, thank you so much. The way of Jesus calls us to the way of sacrifice calls us to following him and loving him above all. And I ask that you would guide us in that process right now. And uh, Lord, for the person who's using religion like a Pharisee to set up a, a uh, something Corban to avoid caring for a family member uh, help them to see that, please. And to make the decision as followers of you to pursue healing and restoration in family relationships. Um, Lord, for those of us who know the pain of a cruel parent, um, thank you that for the authority of Psalm 2710 that when our mother and father forsakes us, you, you take us in and you fill that role. You're a wonderful counselor. You're a mighty God, your everlasting Father, your Prince of Peace. Uh, but I pray that the fruit of the Spirit, that the true evidence of the work of your Spirit will come to bear in the lives of each family member, whether it's the little five-year-old looking up at grandparents or the newlyweds or those entering into parenthood for the first time in the new baby, that they would see that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are defining for those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Would you please bless now in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read one more more scripture to you, and then I'm going to be in the back, and Stephen will come. In Acts 2, there was Peter preached of his first great recorded sermons and the crowd responds and they heard this they were pierced to the heart 
And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call himself. If you do not understand what the new birth is about, I want you to please come. I'll be right back here. You come talk to me. And I will share scripture with you about the new birth. Um, Stephen, I know you're ready. Let's see.